I'm a dance teacher over at the studio there. I'll call over there. And then somehow or other, a hundred people made it over seven blocks away. And, and it, um, I thought about it again this evening while we were sitting. Just the, uh, the beauty of that dance of uh, like a flock flying together. Because this last weekend, I was, after the Tuesday night, I went to lead a retreat up in the in the, in the prairies of Saskatchewan, where I go quite often, uh, several times a year, and right on the Trans-Canada Trail. And I happened to arrive this time at the retreat center, a place called Woodacre, at the same time of year when the geese were flying north. And I, literally, I was brought to tears at least five or six times just seeing literally thousands of, of geese flying in, in formation, supporting each other. And it, it's just a, it was a reminder that, we, that none of us, in spite of whatever notion we have of isolation, no matter how unique and individual we are, which we are, we do not, no one lives independently apart from, from the whole. And especially when it comes to uh, Dharma practice, Dharma meaning the practice of awakening to truth, no one can really do this alone, just like the geese cannot fly alone so easily. So just as a reinforcement to this, uh, this delicious experience I had of seeing the, the unique configuration of the snow geese, I forget whether it's the Canada geese or the snow geese. Some of the, the geese fly in a kind of V formation, then others in a big, in a much more of a rounded uh, group. And they literally just travel all day long in groups. And then you see the little stragglers. And so I have something I've, I've occasionally shared here that uh, reminds us that we are very much uh, like the geese. Fact number one. As each goose flaps its wings, it creates an uplift for the birds that follow. By flying in a V formation, the whole flock adds 72% greater flying range than if each bird flew alone. Lesson. People who share a common direction and sense of community can get where they're going quicker and easier because they're traveling on the thrust of, on the thrust of one another. Fact number two. When a goose falls out of formation, it suddenly feels the drag and resistance of flying alone. It quickly moves back into formation to take advantage of the lifting power of the bird immediately in front of it. Lesson. If we have as much sense as a goose, we stay in formation with those headed where we want to go. We are willing to accept their help and give our help to others. Fact number three. When the lead goose tires, it rotates back into formation and another goose flies to the point position. Lesson. It pays to take turns doing the hard tasks and sharing leadership. As with geese, people are interdependent on each other's skills, capabilities, and unique arrangements of gifts, talents, and resources. Fact four. The geese flying in formation honk to encourage those up front to keep up their speed. We need to make sure our honking is encouraging. 
In groups where there is encouragement, the production is much greater. The power of encouragement to stand by one's heart or core values and encourage the heart and core value of others is the quality of honking we seek. Fact five. When a goose gets sick, wounded, or shot down, two geese drop out of formation and follow it down to help and protect it. They stay with it until it dies or is able to fly again. Then they launch out with another formation or catch up with the flock. If we had as much sense as a geese, as geese, we will stand by each other in difficult times as well as when we are strong. So to me, the real, the real meaning of this is, is that uh, we don't do this alone very well. But then the deeper Dharma meaning is that, to me, it reminds me that nothing really exists in, independently apart from everything else. And I speak of this particularly, this sense of interbeing, of, of non-separateness, because it's very easy from a narrow perspective and from the perspective of our own individual consciousness and our, our own personality view, view about ourselves, a story about ourselves, our unique, that unique sense of, of history, whatever that is, our cultural, religious gender, whatever it might be, it's very easy to experience within our individuality a sense of isolation, a sense of uh, not only am I apart from the flow of life, the, the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean, but uh, I, it's that sense of being isolated, that sense of being alone, it's, it's all and everything about my life is my fault. And this, this narrative of self-blame, of unworthiness, of, of, um, of not enoughness, of insufficiency, of dissatisfaction, this narrative is born of a, of, of a misperception about all the myriad things that have, that have come together in order for you, in order for me, in order for any of us to be the way we are. Not one of us would be here. Not one of our own unique configurations would be here if it wasn't for, uh, for as I like to think of it, it for, for beginningless causes. There is absolutely no beginning to any of us, really. From a narrow perspective, we were born on such and such a date, such and such a year, to such and such parents, and that's when our life began but if we look just a little bit more deeply into the connection of things, we would see that that, that life, that this life did emerge from, the, from a particular womb and particular relationship, but that relationship that um, came together in order to produce you also was fed by all the many circumstances that your parents were in and your grandparents and all of that was influenced by the social, sexual, religious mores of the day. And it just goes on and on and on where there we cannot ultimately find one element of our being that exists completely independently uh, from all of the causes that, that led to us. Now, even though that 
this present moment is a creative display, and out of all of those myriad causes, we can, in the, in the life of the present moment, we have the freedom to plant seeds that influence what, how our future present moments look, how our life unfolds. That even that creativity, even that spark of, of insight or intuition, even the, the something that's never been seen on the, on the earth, uh, a technological change, a change of heart, none of that still exists independently from the causes and conditions that led to it. So whenever we think about ourselves as to blame, we have to think about who it is that we're blaming when we're referring to ourselves. Because from a, from a distant perspective, we appear to be these solid little entities, these little individual pods that, that again, again, exist independently apart from all the other pods. But all one has to do, and what meditative insight begins to do, is we come a little closer to what we call me, what we call mine, what we call I, what we call an individual. And it's so obvious to see right from the beginning, the beginning of our inquiry, even intellectually, we see that this body that sits here does not exist independently apart from the elements of nature, earth, air, fire, water everything that had to form to form this body. This body is not me, is not mine. It is made up of non-personal elements. And we, so, it, so an I cannot be found in this body of changing conditions, of elements that, that last for a certain life, a certain span of time, and then they begin to, to dissolve back into the elements that they came out of. So if we look more deeply at what we call I, we see that we, even with our bodies, we see that they're inseparable from the elements of, of, the, of the earth. If we look at our mind, we see what we say, my mind. Again, it has a kind of unique expression, but it's made up of, of all of the influences, all the advertising, all the, the notions of what you what's right what's wrong who you should be who you shouldn't be everything your parents told you everything your parents didn't tell you everything your your the way you were reflected or the way you were you either positively mirrored not mirrored held or not held all of those things led to a that sense of a psychological view of yourself. But if you look to the heart of that, all you would see is these changing thoughts and images and views. You would not find any kind of independent existence, independent I that's in the middle of all that. So no matter how deeply you look at your individuality, as unique an individual as each of us is, we cannot find anything in us that is completely apart from all of the, the causes uh, that led us to be. Consequently, when we look to the view of ourself as to blame, as somehow wrong, somehow not enough, somehow whatever it is that you tell yourself, whatever it is, it's probably someone else told you that. Usually the voice is running through our mind, 
unbidden. They come uninvited. There's no self in there either. It's just thoughts and images coming and going. But within those, that little stream of consciousness, we have all these voices. Some of them are aggressive. Some of them are inflated. Some of them are deflated. If you listen closely enough, especially the ones that repeat themselves over and over, you probably hear more likely one of your parents, especially the judging voice, the I should be different than the way I am, or something like that. I used to do an exercise. Every time I'd hear that judging mind, I would think of uh, at least the person that I thought was the, the voice of the judge. You can, you can think about who the voice of the judge is in your mind is, and I, and I would say, um, you know, thank you so-and-so, each time it would share. And it began to, if you pay attention to the flow of consciousness enough, you see that it's just happening. There's no self in it. It's just a, a selfless process. It's just coming and going. But because of this, this unique human characteristic, I don't know any other species that has it, but, but the characteristic of a, fast, a factor in our mind called, in the Pali or Sanskrit, it's called avijja or ignorance, or sometimes described as wrong view. This changing condition of mind and body, all this stuff that doesn't exist independently apart from, from everything that influences it, that wrong view takes all of that very personally. It says, that's me. That's mine. This is who I am. And yet... Although no one has ever seen that I to whom everything happens to, uh, it's that sense of I, that sense of me that exists independently, gets reinforced over and over. How does it get reinforced? By thinking about it. By that narrative that goes through our mind, that describes us, that describes us day in and day out, the thoughts in our mind describe an idea of ourselves as somebody who's come from the past, passing through the present, on our way to the future. And that person who's come from the past, passing through the present, on our way to the future, in real time, no one's ever seen that. In real time, we experience sights, sounds, smells, tastes, sensations, thoughts. In real time, it's only through reflection that we know that there, may, there were past present moments. So we, we, and we don't know what will happen next. But that story of somebody who's come from the past, passing through the present, on the way to the future, is the way that we live our life. But that person doesn't exist. What exists is this flow of consciousness arising in an unfolding present. Easy to miss. Easy to miss. We, mis- we have a mistaken view, wrong view. We take that view of ourselves as the one who exists in time that lives on this little narrow pathway on our way somewhere. You know, we're really not on our way anywhere. We're, we're here. And the next moment, we'll be here. And the next moment after that, we're here. We're always here. There is no there except in our imagination. So while we're busy in that narrow pathway going there, life's what's happening. Life is what's happening. We're like that duck that I read last week. 
We are constantly, if we are conscious, we're easing ourselves into this boundless connection, this connection with all life at all time, right where it touches us. We're never apart from life. But our mind is saying, I'm apart from life, I'm spinning my wheels, I'm all alone, and I've got to run really fast in order to get where I want to go. And where I want to go is to happiness. And where I want to go to get happy is to the future, when things will work out in my favor. And that whole drama of getting where I want to go is a kind of torment to our mind. It turns our present reality, that place where we're connected with life and everything in it, it turns it into a, a place that we're just kind of passing through on our way to somewhere else. And we don't we lose that sense of intimacy. Lose that sense that, that you are the one that you've been looking for. You're already immersed in the very thing you're seeking. It's so easy to miss that. While we're in the, the state of what the Buddha called bhava, becoming. And that, this is a trance. This is what's called wrong view. And that view of ourselves, wrong view, the Buddha called sakaya ditti, personality view. Personality view is all about time. It's all about getting somewhere. So our practice says, wake up. It says, wake up out of this trance of yourself and experience the boundless, experience the suchness of life, the flock, the connection with all of life, right where it touches you. Don't look for anything but here. Otherwise, you'll miss it. You will miss it. So I, when I, I think I have this with me, but my favorite passage on waking up, because I just started exclaiming, wake up, so I thought I'd go back to the Anthony DeMello teaching on waking up. He said, last year on Spanish television, I heard a story about a gentleman who knocks on his son's door. Jaime, he says, wake up. Jaime answers, I don't want to get up, Papa. The father shouts, get up, you have to go to school. Jaime says, I don't want to go to school. Why not, asks the father. Three reasons, says Jaime. First, because it's so dull. Second, the kids tease me. And third, I hate school. And the father says, well, I'm going to give you three reasons why you must go to school. First, because it is your duty. Second, because you are 45 years old. And third, because you are the headmaster. <laughs> so we have to... We may not be that. We have our own version of headmaster. We are the master of our own life. We are not that one who we imagine ourselves to be. We are kind of a glorious 
glorious, mysterious, aware presence. This is from a Korean Zen master named Chinul. When when dawning dawning closed, I think he lived over a thousand years ago. When dawning closed, they only understand that they are dawning closed. When eating, they only understand that they are eating. In all their activities, they are deceived by appearances. Hence, they use the the sublime function of the mind every day, but do not realize it. It is right before their eyes, but they are not aware of it. The sublime function of just the very fact that you are aware and the very fact that you you have within that field of awareness, you have within you, right here, all of the, the wholesome, all of the qualities that, that partake of, of happiness, of well-being, of, of richness. I think a couple weeks ago, I, I did a whole night on you, who are the richest person on earth, who've been going around begging for a living from, from Thich Nhat Hanh. And this is our, this is our uh, tendency of mind that we can wake up to. But I think my motivation tonight in, in speaking about the, the beginninglessness of our existence and all of the myriad causes that have, that have uh, made it possible for us to be here was, is to both to recognize the amazing connection that we have with, with all life around us, all life that has ever been and all life that will ever be, that we're not apart from it. And that's an, it's an awesome feeling of, of belonging. It's, often, it's an awesome feeling of being part of a flock of existence. And it has a lifting power to it, to connect with this inexhaustible resource called life, called aware presence. That was one, that's one hand. The second side of that, that wisdom of being present, being presence itself, is that, uh, that you, being so interdependent, are not your fault. And your patterns are not your fault. And all of that is just to say that if you see this with the, if you experience yourself with the eyes of wisdom, inevitably that will morph into the heart of self-compassion. And it will morph as you relate to other people's foibles and, and patterns and all the things that are completely irritating you, it will morph into, into the heart of compassion toward how, how selfless, how unbidden we have come to be the way we are. It does not mean that we don't have to take responsibility for our actions and plant the seeds of, of wholesome actions, even if we've acted out a lot in our life. But the way we came to be how we are is just not our fault. And so the self-judgment, the self-blame, it's got to stop. It's just a bad habit based on wrong view, based on a narrow perception of reality. And 
It's possible. It's possible to fall in love with the mystery that you are and to, to heal that tendency to be so harsh and critical and limiting in our views of ourselves and our view of others. So we can, moment by moment, even now, come out of the stream of judgments. We connect with that boundless by opening our senses to just our immediate and direct experience in this moment. You don't have to look beyond this. Wake up. Wake up. The past is gone, future unborn. There's just us. And there's no dividing line. That's another reminder that what I say to you, I have to be careful (laughs) because it impacts you. And then what you say to someone else impacts them. What we do to ourselves impacts others. What we do to others impacts us. So our actions, what we do with our body, what we say, even the things that we think, don't live just alone in a vacuum. So this is why the, the teachings say, incline your mind toward, and your life, your actions, your word, toward the wholesome toward kindness, toward generosity, toward patience, toward non-aggression. Incline toward goodwill, any chance you get. So when are we going to do that? Are we going to do, uh, will we do that at the, at the end of the week? Will we do that in our next retreat? Or don't we do that the moment we wake up in the morning? We set an intention. I am going to um, practice non-harming this week. I'm going to practice feeling connected to the life around me, taking care with my thoughts, words, and actions. I am going to open my senses and not wait to be happy, not wait for freedom, not postpone. I'm going to widen my lens instead of being in that narrow, distorted story of myself that's always running out of time. It's always tripping over myself where I actually am in order to get somewhere else. I'm going to settle back into the moment. No matter, even if I'm running, I'm going to be aware of my back body because I don't want to miss this sense of total immersion in life. Because this is where all the intelligence, all the skillfulness, all the love flows from. It doesn't flow from the imagined future or the imagined past. That's just dead. It's the graveyard of memory. I'm not saying memory is not a great thing. It's a wonderful thing to be able to think about things. But if we live in our memories and live in our plans, what's life like? It's just dead. Just busy waiting for something better. Stop waiting. That's what I, that's, to me, that's what it means by wake up. 
You're the headmaster. <laughs> so in the meantime, because we are very practiced at self-judging, having that narrative of insufficiency going through my mind. I'll leave you with the words of a teacher named Sri Nisargadatta, where he says, All you need is already within you. Only you must approach yourself with reverence and love. Self-condemnation and self-distrust are grievous errors. Your constant flight from pain and search for pleasure is a sign of love you bear for yourself. All I plead with you is this. Make love of yourself perfect. Deny yourself nothing. Give yourself infinity and discover that you do not need them. You are beyond. So please make peace with the fact that, you're, that you run from pain and you search for pleasure. This is a sign of love for yourself, but this is a mistake. Make love of yourself perfect. Give yourself infinity, which means ease, as the little duck does, ease yourself into the boundless right where it touches you. That's what my practice is, to be a little duck. To cuddle in the swells. So let's sit quietly for a moment. May we remember that our practice every day impacts not just ourselves but all beings. And let's remember to dedicate our practice to the welfare and benefit of all beings. And tonight, if there has been any goodness, any blessings, any benefits, any fruits, any merit from our practice, we offer it freely to all beings with a blessing and a wish that all beings can wake up, that all beings can be happy and know the causes of happiness, be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, that all beings can discover that sacred happiness that is without sorrow here and now. And finally, a wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity, able to meet the joys and the sorrows and not have to fly from pain and search for pleasure, but to be able to sit in the middle of it with serenity. And a deep wish that all beings can be liberated 
cute. Oh, by the way, a quick announcement, so sorry. I will be away next week, and you have the great good fortune to uh, be um, to the person who will be um, taking my place next week is a fellow named Robert Kusick, who is a longtime staff person at Spirit Rock. He was one of the first people to be trained at a, at a, a program on compassion at Stanford University, and he was the first one or the second one who was asked to teach that program. He's now going all over the, the planet leading classes on this, uh, on compassion. So he will be doing a, an evening on the work that he's doing next week, and he's a beautiful guy, and you will fall in love with him. And so everybody, come one, come all, and bring your friends, because it'll, it'll be very important work for very important information for everyone. So Robert Kusick, his uh, bio is on our website, missiondharma.org.
thank you so much. Have a good night. How is yeah?
Okay. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.